Hello and welcome to the Brew and Bite Show, episode 16, Find My Pint, sponsored by the London Mac User Group. I'm your host, Craig, and coming up on the show, we have not one, but three wonderful guests from a videographer, YouTuber, rocket scientist, and an app developer and digital forensic expert, as well as being a CEO. We also have a look at the rumored air tags and what are their possible uses. Who's next in line for CEO of the Big Apple? And not forgetting our feature this week, Apple and Entertainment. But first up, let's say hello to the panel. Uh, nice to see a, a, a bigger panel than usual on the on the podcast this evening. And next up, we'll say hello to Tina. How are you? I'm well, but a bit anxious because as the Mac, relative Mac newbie, I'm going to feel really ignorant. But I'm just going to go with the flow and just accept that. And Martin, how are you, our backup? King. Hi, good evening. Yeah, I'm fine. I'm fine. Brilliant. Thank you. And tonight we have an amazing amount of skill sets tonight. First up, we'll say hello to our YouTuber, which is Mark Ellis. How are you? I'm very well. Thank you, Craig. How are you? Not too bad. Thank you. Geared up for this evening? Yeah, I'm particularly geared up for the opening of the pubs and the the gym. Very excited about that. Have you got your alarm clock set ready for the morning? Yeah, it's which one you go to first, isn't it? The pub or the gym, and which which order you do it in? I'm going to get confused. I've done it for so long. I'm going to get confused which one to do first. Can you say this is the first time you've pre-ordered a pint? Probably not these days. To be fair. <laughs> We will also say hello to this evening to our security expert and CEO, which is Aidan Fitzpatrick. How are you? I'm good. I'm great. Thank you. Thanks for having me. You know what they say, can't complain, mustn't grumble. I I might still do, though, but... uh... Good to be here. And we'll also say hello to not only a Mac expert, but also a rocket scientist. Let's say hello to Christian Boyce. How are you? Oh, fine. Good. Thanks for uh, thanks for having me. I'm looking forward to this. Uh, before we get started, it would be great if you could each tell us something about your background or how you first got involved with Apple. My very, very first experience of a Mac, very briefly, was when I did some work experience at a local newspaper, and I wanted to become a journalist, and sat down for about 10 minutes with these real journalists, and they all said, don't get into journalism. It's the lowest paid job ever. You'll never enjoy it. And and that genuinely put me off journalism for life. But at the same time, I did spot that they had... Apple Macs. And it was my, the first time I'd ever seen them. I couldn't tell you what they were. They would have been, I don't want to show my age now, but they were they were pretty, yeah, we, we're talking probably early 90s. My, my proper first experience of a Mac was actually at school when I was doing my A-levels. And it was the old G, G3 or G4, one of the two. And I just remember, I, like I say, I wrote um, this mystical thing that, God knows, how, how the school afforded it, I have absolutely no idea. But they had two of them and they were kind of hidden away in this little vault in the in the library. It was just one of those, that first kind of magical experience of, of something which was at this mystique about it but yeah I, I had to really think back to when that time was and get all no- nostalgic about it so that was my first I mean that was again that was kind of late late not well mid mid to late 90s so relatively not that long ago I suppose really I saw my first Mac in 1985 I was at uh, University of Texas going to grad school master's degree in engineering and structural engineering and they had PCs with black screens and green writing on them sitting on top of the the beige box and I just pretty much graduated from using punch cards to using terminals that sort of virtually did the punch cards and now I saw these two things next to that PC was was a Mac I think it was a 512 Max, so the so-called Fat Max, second version of the Mac. I took to it instantly. I mean, I thought this PC thing, yuck. I mean, I didn't. Uh, yes, it was in color, but the color was all green. Right, there was only one color. It's green. the The Mac was black writing on a white 
sheet of paper and I had stuff to write and it, it, I thought I get this thing and it, it was it's just a perfect fit I bought one a little while later I won a little bit of money in a scholarship contest and I um, I blew it all and more to buy a Mac plus which is actually in my closet right here I could show you it's got the names inside of the case and the whole thing so it's yeah that's that's a long time back yeah I really I, I thought that this was a computer that was made for people that already had work to do and didn't want to do computer stuff. They just wanted to do the work they already had and have this thing help them do it. Well, I suppose as an engineer, I I played with them, but I didn't really embrace them. You know, I was on the Commodore, I was on the Amiga, I was on the PC, and I was generally using platforms that I was building for. So I spent a lot of my career on Linux. And as a CTO, I was always quite distrustful of Macs. I've I've got to admit, they weren't really Unix. I wasn't wasn't really sure what was going on. But um, it was the phone that got me over. Because I had I had the Motorola Razor and I had uh, Blackberries and I combined the two, and I'd really sort of you know I remember when Windows NT four came out and I remember thinking that was fantastic and and I remember thinking there was a parallel with Windows CE or Wince as it was unfortunately called, which was early two thousands. And so I did a lot of stuff where I was playing around building things for Wince because I thought something was, it just didn't work. And it, it didn't matter how many different devices you got running Wince, none of them quite worked. So I got one of the first iPhones, as, as I'm sure everyone else here had. You know, that was really the start of my software company. I, I built a, a product for that first iPhone after I lost my data. And lo and behold, people wanted to buy that for the Mac. So I had to build it for the Mac, so I had to have a Mac. It just sort of went from there, really. That's awesome. And that actually leads quite nicely onto my first question of what does your day job involve? Good Lord. Uh, well, in my case, I, so I run a software company called Reincubate, and we build products that help people make the most of their Apple equipment, essentially. So we started off uh, with a product called iPhone Backup Extractor, which does sort of what you might expect. It helps you recover data that's been lost or deleted, and that runs on Windows, it runs on Macs. At the moment, we're putting a lot of energy into building a product called Camo, which essentially lets you use an iOS device as a very high-quality webcam on your PC or Mac. So essentially, the, the cameras in an iOS device are much better than any webcam on the market. If you want pro video, as you guys know, you probably want the DSLR or you want an iPhone. And I've recently set up a small fund to invest in tech. I am slightly overemployed. I think you're the expert I should ask about managing my time because you're doing so many things there. I'll ask someone who doesn't overcommit. (laughs) (laughs) And thank you. And next, we'll say the same question to Mark. By day, I'm a um, I'm a content marketer, remote my own little marketing business, which is little because it's just just me really. But I suppose the the thing that you you guys are interested in, probably the audience are interested in, is the the channel that I run. So about this time last year, I decided to finally finally start my YouTube channel, which I wanted to do for a long time. Had all the usual excuses of not doing it. Things happened last year, a bit more time on the hands, and I went for it basically. And I think I started properly making videos in in august so i've been going for about nine months properly really and time i've, I've somehow built nearly twelve thousand subscribers on on youtube weirdly enough i didn't start off really with the, the idea of doing purely a tech channel uh, the idea originally was actually to do kind of productivity advice and freelancing advice and all that sort of stuff and i started off doing that but then i did a headphone review which got thousands of views and thought i'll just do this this is this seems a little bit easier um and I haven't looked back since, to be honest. And I think a lot of it was was fortuitous timing, really, because obviously then the M1 chip was announced, and I've had some well some 
thankfully uh, it's some pretty good ex- success with the with the views on on that as well it's been a wild ride definitely a bit humbling and all the rest of it but it's uh, yeah it's great and that's that's pretty much what i do i mean go back to what aiden was saying about over committing yourself i'm i'm always doing that why well, start work at six o'clock in the morning and finish it god knows what time but um i love it i, w- I wouldn't change it for the world really that's awesome and if i can ask christian our rocket expert over there well that was a long time ago um, I've been full-time helping people get more out of their Apple stuff, whether it's a Mac or an iPhone, since 1991. So my when my rocket science uh, job went away in 91, I just... I was already helping people. So, you know, where Aiden's making making the tools to help people get more out of their stuff, I'm helping them learn how to do it. So a lot of times there's stuff, well, every time, there are things in software that people don't know how to use. And even if they think they know how to use something, the, the odds are they, they probably don't. There's probably a lot of stuff I can show them that will help them. And so, so I support small to medium businesses and sometimes really big ones to teach people how to do more, get more out of out of their time that they spend with their Macs and their iPhones. On occasion, I do some things that, that are not really teachable. Like Generally, I prefer to teach so that people can do their own things after I'm gone. But on occasion, there's something that's too complex. They just want it done. So in that case, I'll use Apple scripts and I'll, I'll write an Apple script for somebody to do something very complicated. And, you know, I'll do things for newspapers, job that used to take a couple hours, laying out cartoons in the in the comics page with crossword puzzles and things. It used to take more than an hour. Now it takes eight seconds. So I do those those two things. That's awesome. And I'm sure, as the panel will tell you, I'm very much into automation. So I shall be asking you some of all the tech geeky questions, I'm sure. This week has been extremely busy with something new each and every day in different categories. But most importantly we had the announcement of the WWDC event. And yet again, we are to see a virtual event. Well, I'll I'll jump in there. I think they made such a success of it last year. I think they learned the way to do that now. But I think they... The last year's show was was a very well produced and professional looking show. I think they are experts at that. I think this will be the way forward for them. And certainly with all the travel restrictions and hotel restrictions and everything else that's going on at the moment, it could be the death knell of of major shows like this. I think uh, if they can prove this is the way to go, if they can have an interactive audience section in it somehow, um, I think you'll find that uh, many companies will start looking at this as, as... as the future for these kind of live events. Um, also, Apple have, have broken it down now. It's not one big event announcing all. They just tend to show the general guidelines and then use almost a, a, an event per month to show off their latest bits. Obviously, from a PR point of view, it keeps them in the in the spotlight uh, all the time, which is obviously what's good for them. And, and, they lo- and as we know, the press love talking about Apple, good or bad. So if they can have these little mini events, they just generate so much PR from it. It's quite a cunning plan they've got in, in action now. I was going to say, I miss it. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know if that will if that will wear off when you're getting fleeced uh, for a hotel in, in San Jose. But yeah, I miss I miss the Odwala. I miss seeing the engineers. It, it's, it's, it's such a fun event. Last year, it was surprisingly effective and efficient in terms of talking with Apple engineers. You know, we, we got quite, we got two or three sessions, which, which surprised me, where we got to talk with the team and ask them a bunch of questions. And I, I didn't think we'd managed to pull that off. I thought there'd be too much demand. But uh, yeah, it, it, would, it would be nice to get back out there for some FaceTime, for sure. Talking from, I suppose, the sorts of things that I'm interested in, like the production values, it's... Uh... 
I think I've not watched the Google events. I've seen bits and pieces of them, but um, and, and Facebook, etc. But I think it's largely kind of accepted that Apple are, are probably leading the way really with the production value of, of their remote events, and that's one thing I love about it. But I think, like Aiden says, that the challenge is mixing that with the sessions, particularly at WWDC, where you know you have developers who want to get in front of the guys at Apple and um, and ask questions, which I know you can do that remotely, but it's nothing like doing it in person. I'm, I'm sure personally, it'd be, it'd be nice to see some kind of hybrid event where, because I, I think the keynotes do benefit from this new polished pre-recorded format personally uh, i'm not a big fan of the the on-stage events i think since steve jobs sadly departed us they feel very engineered which they they have to be because they don't have anyone like him anymore who was just a natural i think there's different viewpoints depending on how likely you were to physically attend so it's unlikely that i'm ever going to go to wwdc in person therefore for me the experience is going to be different to a developer who would actually go there so it's slicker you're less likely to see someone that's an engineer and is a rubbish presenter stumble over their words and occasionally you'd they want to do a demonstration and it wouldn't quite work I quite like that I mean I was a teacher so that always makes me laugh when things go wrong but it is slicker and what's also interesting with them is they're trying to portray their company values so they've got lots of represent different groups represented they've they've got women they've you know people of color they've got people that may have physical difficulties and it's just more thought out and just slicker in regards to that if i ever get the chance to go physically though i may feel differently christian are you booking your ticket ready for next year's event well you know that wasn't really an event that was right for me because i wasn't developing things i i waited for someone else to do it and then i would i would learn it and teach it there's a couple things about what they're doing now which i really like for for starters my understanding is it's free. It used to be sort of a, a gold rush that you needed to sign up right away and it would sell out, you know, it used to sell out in a week and then it was in two days and it was in two seconds. More people get to see it and um, and that's all, all that's good, all that's good. But in fact, someone like me who would never spend the money to go because it's not quite my area. Of course, I used to have Macworld Expo, which was more like something that I would go to. And I did. I went to all, there were 25 of them I never missed. And when they ended, I miss it. I still miss it. It's a long, that's a long time ago. And I still miss it. A chance to see people face to face. And I I was listening um, about, I think Mark was saying about the hybrid event. I'm kind of hoping that they keep doing what they're doing, but have a separate event that's a chance to to get together face to face. Like not doesn't necessarily have to be in June. From a video perspective and being a photographer here, I just really like the transition work between each of the different cast members that were demonstrating it. I do like the idea of maybe a hybrid version. I know there's been some conversation around do they just make the keynote available online? And then the developer side of things is kept as an event. I really like events. I really enjoy working with people. And I see it as the kind of comic book fan or MCM event where people dress up, they make a big thing about it. I don't think Apple want to lose that atmosphere, but who knows? I also think that maybe Apple quite like the control over it. It's a bit too controlled for my liking, because the thing which I liked about the original setup was you could really tell that the product had been released. They were physically holding it, and they could actually demonstrate it, and the making of the mistakes actually proved it was there. They don't actually have to prove anything is genuine, because it could be, they could be production problems but they can make it look computer generated there was that whole discussion of 
was that really Apple's computer lab? And then people di dissecting the computer lab and saying what was in it and this is how it's all worked. And it went off on this whole magic tangent of, you know, what's inside Apple? And then they're all about what were the trees in the background and what they were wearing and is that really to canteen? And I thought, okay, that was fun for a couple of, you know, days. But then you're getting away from what it really was really about. And ultimately, half of all the good ideas come from the people who you're meeting because it's quite nice to see that it's not so posh it's not so nice it's it's something quite different and in the era of deep fakes and fake news seeing something physical proved that it really was there and it felt a bit bit like watching a movie at times i mean yes i can agree why you want to have a free online wwdc so it goes across the wider audience that makes sense but you still need to have development camps and what would be nice is if they did it so that you could have one for europe one for america maybe one for Asia. So they would break it down into regional hubs and that would then make it even more accessible because if we're not going to get into the era of flying, then that would be quite fun, wouldn't it? You could then take out the whole of Excel and then have that as being like the London hub or or, or Birmingham Marina or something like that. You know, you could have like quite a sort of interesting series and then it'll be slightly different days apart. Yeah, I think just picking up on something that Alistair said there, that this whole thing that Apple is smart with this, where people start digging into everything, everything that's going on in the background like you say their secret lab which isn't their secret lab at all it's just a, sta a stage set but what worries me about that as fun as that is apple do have a tendency to play on that quite a bit like they do with their invites and all that sort of stuff they, the invites generally mean nothing but they know that people spend hours pouring over what that little light in the background is or the, the circle means the worry with that i suppose is that they get a, a bit too involved in that and, and and the whole production becomes more about that stuff and going back to what even i was saying earlier about the production values and as you, as you were saying yourself craig the transitions it's just stunning what they're doing with it the one thing that i miss is all the mass media coverage where there's all these live chat feeds and discussions going on and hundreds of notifications going off on your phone or the famous iconic picture where everybody's sitting in their auditorium with the glow of their mat as they're rushing to put their information online can i ask a question what does the what do the panel think will be the big announcement at this year's WWC? What What's going to be the wow factor? I've just got a second XDR, so I think they're going to announce an iMac that's a fraction of the price of the screen that's just as good. I feel it in my bones. <laughs> I'm a Thunderbolt display fan, so come on, I want a more modern version. Whereas I'm waiting to replace my MacBook Pro. That's all hardware, guys. What do you think about the software? Are we going to see the usual incremental increases? I can't really think what they're going to do to any of the, the operating systems they, they do feel fairly polished for, for example i've stopped getting excited about the iphone i'll put my hands up and say that it's still the best phone i've ever used at the minute i'm doing a bit of a test i'll probably get kicked off this podcast in a second but i've got a pixel 4a here which i've been using for a month the problem is that they need to do something to excite me about it but i don't know what they need to do so i'm not, not going to sit here and suggest i've got all the answers I, I i don't think we'll see hardware at wwdc personally i, I think we're going to see something probably potentially this month um as a hardware only event but yeah i just don't know hopefully other people on this, on this show can can tell me what i should get excited about because I, I i'm i'm struggling to be honest i think that there might be more excitement not this year but next year's once lots of the range has gone over to new chips i, I think when when most of the range has gone over then i think they might surprise us i think we're going to probably see a big privacy field so we may get some big 
privacy announcement or Apple says we're now joining up with the European Union, the British, we're joining up with a whole range of different privacy centers, just like they normally do with the health data. And they say, these are the companies we're working with. This is what we're doing to secure your data, because that's a big new thing. If they were the first company to do that, then you'll suddenly get a lot of the big regulators will back off Apple. And then that will become a big new thing. And Apple suddenly goes into that field. I'm curious for iPadOS to catch up, because they... Do, do they still talk about iPad OS or, or is it iOS again now? Because it, it felt like it got a bit left behind with iOS 14 because it doesn't have that library of apps and it doesn't really properly do widgets. You've got that thing on the left-hand side. I have an iPad Pro and a pencil and I love it. And I keep thinking, oh, well, why can't I get these things off my home screen into a library? Why, like I don't use widgets on the iPhone. I don't I don't really have a use for them, but it feels like both of those features fit the iPad better. I'm into my, my Mac recycle process. Three years is, a, is the kind of limit. I've got a, a 2018 MacBook Pro that needs upgrading. I've been debating whether to, to go for a new top-of-the-range MacBook Pro. It's going to be about four, four and a half grand. Hopefully, there'll be some kind of iMac Pro version of the M1 chip, maybe with a, a M1X chip in it or, or something like that, which will be the, the top end of the iMac range. I think I think you might struggle to spend that on a MacBook Pro now. I mean, the the i9 was about four grand, but we've bought a lot of M1 MacBook Airs and M1 MacBook Pros. They're all the same. It doesn't matter what you do with the spec. It's about eight hundred pounds without VAT, and whether you get the MacBook Air that's eight hundred pounds before VAT, or whether you get the MacBook Pro and soup it up, it's the same speed. It's the difference between seven and eight cores. The most powerful Mac really is 800 pounds now. I, th- I think that's a legacy thing going back to my earliest days with Mac was in them days you did. You bought a Mac, you spec'd it up to top spec and it would last you that much longer. I'm doing this on a 2014 MacBook Pro. This is one of the reasons I am still waiting and I want it to go. But it does virtually everything I want. I have a horrible feeling that Apple's going to damage all of our wallets in one go and they're going to update the entire product line. They kind of did that last year just before Christmas with the whole iPhone and iPad launch. We'll have to wait and see what happens. Let's see what Mark says. Yeah, I think it, it is. It's both exciting but quite nerve, nerve-wracking as well because you, you just, I think, was it Christian that said that there's, there's a lot of stuff around the corner, clearly. It does feel like we're going to see a new iMac very, very soon. Definitely a new iMac, which I'm very very interested in and then you've got the macbook pro redesign which we keep hearing about uh, whether or not that's going to be the 14 inch initially or 16 inch. they might do both who knows and then whatever they do with the ipads as well um and then we've got air tags with all this stuff you mentioned the famous tag word there i don't know if any of you saw the news this week but apple have now introduced the developer support for find me so we're all used to find my iphone but but what is coming next do any of you have any thoughts on this one were, were they meant to be released last year but they had a problem with the uh, the battery life on them not from what i read i also wonder now it's been opened up to more developers that they thought they could make more money on the licensing aspect of it do you remember the made for ipod or made for iphone sticker that used to be stuck on all the boxes i'm sure christian came across that at some point find my iphone and find my mac works great if you've if you've lost something if you've had to use it it's fantastic i mean i've had people call me when they've lost something they don't know how it works but they know what their apple id is and i'm able to to find their stuff on my machine using their credentials i don't have to do you don't have to do two-factor authentication to do the find mod right so i found an iphone 
that was left behind in an Uber driving down the street. And they say, where is it? And I said, it's, it's at Wilshire Boulevard and First Street. And then, no, Second Street. No, Third Street. Because it was still, they left it in the, in the car. I found all kinds of stuff. I found my dad lost his, his phone. He thought it was stolen. Got shipped to the laundry. And so I was able to find it. I found a, a laptop that was stolen that um, the guy, the thief, had stopped at a uh, hookah shop to go, to go have a smoke after stealing this thing. And, and so I, I could find the car on the street and they send the police and big boyfriend came too. And they, um, anyway, they, they, they caught it. They got their stuff back. It's, it's fantastic. So if it works with other things, I say, great. So long as, you know, if, if there's a tag that goes on your keys, great. If there's, I mean, put one on your dog, put one on uh, everything you can think of it, it. But the fact that they're opening it up to other people is great because if all those things kind of talk to each other, it creates a network of, that makes it easier to find things, that, how to pinpoint them more precisely. So I think it's fantastic what they're doing. The idea that you could just attach these tags to anyone and track their movements. You know, there, there's some serious questions to be asked there. I'm not suggesting that's how easy it would be. Knowing Apple and how important this stuff is to them, the morality of all this sort of stuff, I, I wouldn't be surprised if the, the reason these tags haven't come out yet isn't so much down to the battery performance, all that kind of stuff. It's probably because they're struggling with the story. The, the first thing that will happen, uh, particularly with the, the Daily Mail in this country uh, the next day, is that you'll see headlines, you know, Apple has released tags that you can attach to children and and, and basically, yeah, it, 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 they've got to get that story right. I don't know if you saw, this may or may not be true. I can't remember where I read it, but I have a feeling that Apple have built something into the system that actually stops you from being tracked. It actually recognizes that if if another device is signed in with a different Apple ID or with that person. So if I put a tag on my grandma and she was carrying her iPhone, it would actually recognize that they're both different Apple IDs and stop tracking them. I, I think it's the, the perfect answer. If we want to be able to track down Android users, uh, you, you can circumvent that quite easily. Uh, I mean, I think there are a couple of reasons why it's easier for Apple to let somebody else ship this stuff first. So I think it, it's it's not much of a surprise that they shipped the, the kind of underlying mechanism to do this last year, and it looked fantastic, and now they've opened up the API. It's, it's kind of hard to predict. I think there are a lot of bad actors out there, a lot of people who want to do very naughty things, and, and I'm sure Apple have spent a lot of time thinking about that. But why not let some other people just kind of build some things and see what happens first? I think one of the things I was looking at, the possibility that the tags could be recharged from your phone, that you could hold the phone onto the tab for a short while to recharge it, um, would go a long way to solving that kind of uh, that kind of battery issues that they have. Or my particular favourite tape measure, which always seems to end up in a roof somewhere. So yeah, I, I'd, I'd be quite keen on some of the, the uses of tags for that. I'm going to go round the panel and ask what would be one or possibly two things that you would put a tag on and i think for me it would have to be lens caps for camera lenses nightmare at losing those or misplacing them somewhere and the other one i would love to see is it built into more bicycles i hate the fact that you come out of a building and your bike is gone it be one of my biggest frustrations i'm sure this is one thing they could fix from my perspective it would be Stuff I carry around in my rucksack because I'm a field engineer, so I go around fixing various things. And so the amount of cables and hard drives 
and other stuff, which has cost me a fortune to buy. And it's all for all the different components that Apple make. I definitely will want to put one on my bag. So if someone steals it or I forget it, I can track down where it is. But the other one, which I thought would be very useful, not for myself, but for um, some of my clients, is to have hearing aids. Because the amount of times they can find one hearing aid, but they can't find the other one. And that would be quite useful. It's those sort of things, or they put it in a case, or it drops out their pocket. Where does it go? And it's simple little things like that, which I thought would be quite a nice little feature. Probably, I think I'd put them on my suitcase for when I'm traveling, because uh, they don't get lost very often, but it's it's reassuring to know that uh, to know where it is, especially if you're changing planes, you know that your, your, your bag made it. That's nice. I think I'd put one in the car, because... Um, I mean, I know where <laughs> I know where the car is when I'm in it, but you know, if, if it is stolen, it would be fantastic to know where it was. So I know there's services you you know out here they they have uh, low jack. I don't know what they call it where you are, but pay a service. They they mount something to your car and it, it will you know it'll alert you. Well, you can you can check on it and find out where it is. But if it's if it's just a little tag, I mean, I'd put one in the put one under the seat. Know where my car is. They, oh, in fact. Uh, then I can help find it when I um, when I park and I forget where it is too. So that would be <laughs> yeah. useful. Even if it's not really stolen, I just forgot where it is. This kind of technology could be hardwired into things like TVs and uh, stuff like that. So if they are stolen, then the next time that TV is turned on, it can broadcast where it is, what it's doing. It could easily be hardwired into a lot of electrical products. What would concern me is people, if you have tags attached, um, the thieves are going to have a scanner or something to find that tag and, and rip it off. And, you know, you, you come back to where your car was and find the remains of the tile on the floor. But if it's hardwired into the base of the system, like CarPlay or something like that, or the um, the main uh, control unit of the car, a lot harder to, to stop that from working. So I think there's a lot of potential of what they're thinking of doing, riding on the backs of others uh, to make the system as they like to say, usually say, it just works. I don't get the Apple tag, and I, I think it's going to be a, a bit of a surprise because I think everything that I would tag should be or has been replaced. So your wallet has been replaced by your phone. Your car's probably got CarPlay and should have it built in. Your headphones should have it built in now because they're AirPods. The Apple TV remote doesn't have it built in, but obviously should have it built in. So to my mind, HomeKit is broken. I, I have... I have embraced HomeKit and I have these stupid hue light switches that don't properly work in every room. The tag should have a little friction power button and the U1 chip. And when you press the tag that's on your person, it should turn the lights on or off in the room that the tag's in. So it should replace your keys. It should replace your light switches. Apple are going to be replacing your glasses. So I just think anything that you could lose should already have this in. I just don't know what is left to put the tag on. I've really pared down the stuff I, I carry around anyway. Um, I, I, I totally get, uh, like as Craig says, yeah, being a photographer and a videographer, the, the lens cap thing and you know memory cards and stuff, I'm always misplacing them. But everything else that kind of matters to me, the only thing really is genuinely joking apart probably is a dog because they don't come with built-in air, air tags. Perhaps they will do at some stage. But um. Uh, but that that's only because, if I'm honest, he does this thing where he literally just seems to disappear in our house. We can't find him for about an hour. I just want to know where he goes because that would be He's perhaps going to Narnia or something. It would just be nice to know where he is. It would be nice to know if they'll be waterproof, for example, because you, know, you could put them in your, in your drink, you know, find my pint, you know, which one yours is at the bar when you get back <laughs> to the bar. But um, yeah, I'm, I'm, st- I'm struggling. Uh, I can probably tell. I'm struggling to know where. There's a brand new app there ready for agent <laughs> to make. Find my pint. <laughs> there we go. You heard it here first. I want a commission, though. <laughs>
I think, Mark, it would be it would be fantastic. You put your phone, you press find my tag, and it suddenly scoots off like it did in the movies and shows you Narnia. You know, it's three light years away or something like that. Thinking, how'd the dog get there for crying out loud? I also think there's somebody else that would want that this week. After Tim Cook accidentally said, I don't think I'm going to be here after 10 years, or has the news networks hyped that? Come on, someone's got to retire at some point. That's my view. I think 10 years is just a long time, isn't it? Anyway, I think it's, it's a decade, isn't it? I, 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 I'm not, is he 60 now? I've got He's that right. 60 now, yeah. 60 yeah I mean he's gonna be 70 in 10 years time obviously and um yeah I, I wasn't surprised by that at all and he kind of it was a classic quote where he, he said it and then re- probably realized that it's going to be picked on and then pointed out that that's a long time <laughs> I just thought on that interview I, I listened to it earlier I, I thought he just sounded really tired and fed up that that's the one thing that came across to me and I think that's quite telling really I think he he uh, we were talking before the show, weren't we, about the Facebook questions he was being pelted with. And I think he's just a bit fed up with all that stuff, really. And, and Apple have been through, and obviously he'll see the majority of this being the, the main man, um, a lot of these court cases and, and suing and stuff. And it must be it must be tiring, that that kind of thing. But that, that was the main thing that came across to me. He just sounded like a, a pretty worn out guy. Well, I've got a lot of time for Tim. He's done a cracking job, I think. And he deserves, he deserves a break. I'm not sure who would come next. I think the the monopoly stuff, the anti-monopoly stuff seems a bit unfair because there are a couple of different fronts to it. But no one apart from Apple has built an app store that's safe. They're the only app store ever to be safe. I mean, they're not even as safe as they could be, but compared to everything else, you know, the Play Store is a very dodgy place to be. And I think Apple, irrespective of what they do with privacy, where they put users first and they're doing entirely the right thing, I think they're going to come under attack for that app store. And I think that recent finding in discovery about what they said about iMessage and why they're not making it available. I think Apple are unfortunately going to get hurt, both in the US and in Europe, anti-competitive stuff. And I think it is going to be to the detriment of everyone, of, of all of Apple's users. Uh, and I think Tim is is not looking forward to that. I'm going to ask Christian this. We're obviously the British side of things, but what's the American view of this? I think the privacy thing is is something that people are get an idea that oh my gosh, we we gave it all away. We we had no idea how much information we were giving out about ourselves and that not only were we giving it out but but it was being sold. It was being used. On the one hand, they're willing to give away their information to get free services like Facebook or even even Gmail, but they're not willing to have someone else make the money off of them. They want to. If someone's going to make money, it should be them. The big curtain's been opened, and people see what's going on now. And you know, they're finding out that their credit card their their credit card statement was was full of information that was being sold. And there's all these companies that nobody's ever heard of that that are quietly working away buying and selling this information. I, I think that's just starting to sort of bubble up. It's been going on obviously for a long time, but people weren't aware of it. And, and all of a sudden, I think they are. I don't, I don't think it's enough of like, it's like a wave that's building. It's not a wave that's about to crash, but it's, it's getting bigger and bigger. I'm going to ask, what is the developer's point of view on the privacy aspect? 
as I know, 14.5 has a lot of changes for a developer. I think it's great. The more the merrier. I think Apple are doing a good job with, with these protections. I mean, there's been there's been a bit of noise on Twitter about them not all being enforced because to an extent you can say what you like and then it's up to Apple or someone else to take your app apart and catch you out. Uh, and it would be nice if that if that wasn't the case. And they've done a lot in terms of, you know, there was that change last year where Instagram can no longer see your entire photo library and you can kind of select what you can expose it to. I think these things are, are fundamental and critical. And I think Apple is on absolutely the right path. And, you know, as, as a developer in a space where we're getting data from Apple devices uh, and working with Apple hardware quite closely, these things can be unhelpful and deeply frustrating to us. So, you know, with, with our app at the moment where we're working with video on iOS devices and putting that on macOS, we're dealing with APIs that are old or unhelpful and sometimes, you know, privacy aspects can get in the way of that because it's, it's easier for Apple to sometimes just prevent something or, or come up with a cumbersome mechanism than it is for them to come up with a nice way that kind of clearly explains uh, a trade-off. So, for example, we've we got this at the moment, an iPhone app can only access your iPhone's camera if it's on the foreground of that device. And there are very many good reasons for that because you don't want an app running in the background that can spy on you, right? Totally makes sense. But if you want to let the iPhone work as a webcam and be able to run something else on it at the same time, that would be kind of handy. And, you know, for, for what Apple will feel is an edge case in that way, they're probably not going to put in a privacy and permission mechanism for a specific app. But that sort of thing would help us. I think one thing that shocked me was that, you know, you get the thing now, you go to a site that says, do you wish to accept all our cookies and click through and then say, okay, essentials, performance. And then there's one about marketing. You know, we can we can make sure you only get the ads that we think you really want to see and say, tick. And if you open that up, the number of firms in there, I think the one I counted, there was 287 separate companies who wanted access to that information about what your sales were. And I think that's what's driven this. As you say, initially we were happy for to share. We thought we'd just share in a few little bits and pieces here and there, maybe with Google or whatever. Um, obviously, as, as Tina said, you know, we were getting free software and free use. But when you look at now the number of firms that are involved in the analytics coming off that phone and your information and sites you visit, it's it's like all these things. It's gone too far. And I think this is why people are now starting to say, hang on, it's time for it to, to come back. The other thing I wanted to question was about Tim Cook. What do you know? What has he done for the last ten years? It's not really been a busy period for Apple the last ten years. Jobs and Intel and new chips and everything else. I I think he's done a fantastic job, considering he he was a supply chain manager. That's where he came from. Um, so yeah, fair play to the guy if he if he thinks his time has come to step back or become chairman or or a slightly not day to day hands on role. Then I. I, all I can do is applaud the guy. I think taking over from Steve the way he had to was just a, a phenomenal achievement. And I don't know many others who would have got it. But then the question is, who's going to replace him? Are we going to get Bezos or are we going to get Musk? Or are we going to get um, maybe even uh, Mark? Who, who knows who's going to take over Apple? My goodness, there, there's, a, there's a program we could have a discussion about. But surely any business that's reasonable has succession planning that's you know they should be talking about god forbid but tim cook could be hit by a bus tomorrow they should have a plan and i want to go back to this idea about people being locked into apple because of messages iMessage. 
since when has it become a problem where if you have a great product that you're meant to say, well, actually, we've got a great product, but we need to make it slightly worse because it makes it easier for our, our competitors. I mean, I message, I do like it. You know, it took me a while because I was a bit dim to realise the different colours meant things. But once I got it, I got it. And I like the fact that actually it's all integrated. Because some I, I talked to someone years ago about WWDC and they said, well, what, what's the new thing? And I said, closer integration of all of the Apple products. Well, that's one of the reasons I'm in the ecosystem. And I'm a victim, obviously. But everything works together. So, you know, sometimes if someone sends me a text message, it might go on my watch, it might go on my phone, it might go on my Mac. So it gets a bit irritating. Often it's really useful. Um, they've just made it work for me. Well, that they shouldn't be punished for that. You know, if I was that fussed, I could get Pixel 4a. You're, you're right, Tina. And the first time you copy something into the uh, clipboard on your iPhone and then just turn around to your Mac and go paste, and that appears on the notes that you're writing, Aura, it, it, that to me was, I remember the first time I saw that, I thought, Wow, what a feature! And, and it, it's something that just, as I say, the, the way obviously they've got control of the software, they've got control of the hardware. It's easy for them to do, but I've never managed to successfully link uh, an Android phone with my PC, with my Mac, and all the other bits and pieces. It's it's much more complex. So yeah, I chicken out. I stay in the a- Apple ecosystem. So Christian, who do you think is going to be the next CEO? I, I can't see them going outside the the family. I think. Uh... They, they need someone who understands it. it that, that's what was wrong with Scully. He didn't understand. Of course, he wasn't smart enough either. He didn't know the business, but he also, he just thought he could sell anything and run any company. But, but you need somebody who gets it. And the people, they've got, they've got plenty of people to choose from who've been there a long time who really fit in well. And I would personally, I'd vote for Jeff Williams myself. That would be, that would be I think, a really smooth transition. Very understated guy, but he, he's been there a long time and knows a lot. That, that was my second guess because he's currently the chief operating officer and he's slowly coming in to a few more press offices. He also worked for IBM. One thing that was interesting that, about Tim Cook is everybody said he's he's not Steve Jobs and he, he's not and he didn't try to be. You know, he, he's Tim Cook and he was good at being Tim Cook and it's really different. He never turned into the mesmerizing presence on stage that that Jobs is, and I don't think that's something he that, that wouldn't have been him. And I think Jeff Williams is good at being himself. He's not flashy. I think uh, Craig Federici maybe likes an audience more than some of the other guys. Uh, it's not to say he wouldn't be good at it, but I, I, I do think that the temperament that Jeff Williams exhibits, I mean, for me to say that from here, as if I can... Uh, I think he's. I think he would be terrific. I saw him on one of the other after shows, and he looked quite uh, sort of ready for CEO type material. Don't forget what they said in the past that Tim Cook has actually made Apple very profitable. What he said in an interview in the first year he came out was, "My job was just to make sure that everyone else does their job effectively, and I'm to take the back seat. I'm not meant to be in the limelight. I'm just here to make sure we, we work." 
I thought that was quite a nice idea. He he didn't want to be the big Steve Jobs. He just wanted to be the guy who introduces everyone else and lets everyone talk. And under Tim Cook, we've actually had some very interesting people coming out and talking. So we've had some of the engineers, some of the people from uh, the environmental agency of, of Apple, some of the other areas which you'd never, ever hear of, which they're talking about. So, I mean, he's done quite an interesting style of talking. I'm not sure whether he ever did want to be CEO. I don't think that was what he wanted to do. He was very good in the background, managing everything else, keeping it all running, so that Steve could be as flamboyant as he wanted to be. Apple could be as innovative as they wanted to be. So he was thrust into the role, and I think he did a fairly good job. Steve always wanted to dominate the stage. Tim wants to get off it as quick as possible. Yeah, I I think he, he... he, balance, he balances it quite well. I said jokingly, what has he done over the last 10 years? He's taken up to the biggest company in the world. And I think it's a different thing running a fledgling business to keeping one going when it, you've got the product, but you need to make sure that you keep the market, that you're not, when you're not the little guy anymore and people aren't, you know, it's not trendy to get it because it's a niche product. When you become more mainstream, keeping success is more difficult. You've got to also remember as well, Apple is almost like unlike any other company in the world. They're, they're almost a cult, aren't they? There's, that, there's, there's, there's things about Apple that you just don't find or see in other companies. This week, when we was trying to come up with different ideas for the show, we had a growing list. But one thing that we seem to have forgotten is how we're going to keep entertained. We've spent so much time at home and now we're going back into work scenario for most. Fingers crossed normality is coming along the way. So we thought, why not? Let's look at how we keep entertained with Apple devices, whether that's Apple Fitness, as Tina is demonstrating, or the Apple TV. I don't know which one of the panel would like to start this one off. I'll say something about Apple TV because I've had quite an experience of that recently where I wrote an article on Medium which was basically titled Why Apple Should Cancel the Apple TV and I think it had, to date, it's had about 80 comments and I think two of them agree with me to the point where I had to write a follow-up article to say, fair enough, um, I've screwed up a bit here. I I kind of started off by saying the last time I've used an Apple TV, I I used it briefly last year, the last time I probably had one connected to my TV long term was a long time ago and then I borrowed my parents and I lost that. So I've got two Apple TVs somewhere, I don't know where they are. But my point was, I I just don't, when it comes to entertainment, that box has a very weird place, I think, in Apple's product lineup. TV Plus makes total sense. And I think it, it's it's a great service. The reason I used the TV last year was because we watched uh, The Morning Show, which was fantastic. I think it will take a while to get their library built up. They're not going to be a Netflix overnight, obviously. So I've got no problem with any of that at all. But I think when it comes to the hardware involved, it just seems a bit pointless to me. But I do seem to be in the minority. So it, it, was, it was very interesting just to see that I think a lot of people have got a really solid use case for that Apple TV box. But I'm, I'm more interested personally in the, in the service in terms of what they're doing with the programming and the, the original features and that kind of stuff. I think a lot of people don't like the Apple TV or don't or don't love it, but it's probably one of my favorite Apple products. It is the only way I consume media other than on the iOS device. Uh, we've got we've got two Apple TVs and they're both connected to televisions that have no other form of signal. So it's the only thing we, we can see. And yeah, I, I haven't really got into their programming. I like Ted Lasso, but that's literally the only thing I've watched on it. But when I think about Apple and entertainment, I, I just, you know, they're trying to become a subscription business and that's growing quickly, but it's growing quickly because it's small. You can grow anything small. As with my comment about the tags and all the things I want them to do, when I think of Apple and entertainment, I, I just see potential because 
So many things don't work. We have six HomePods. None of them work. You can't reliably play the Apple TV through the HomePods. The handoff doesn't work. If you then have Siri on her own, she doesn't work because she's been connected to the Apple TV. Doesn't work properly with the home the HomeKit lights all the time. It, you say stop and she plays a song called stop or you say start or turn on and she plays a song called turn on. You know, I've got Apple TV and I, I just don't understand it. Spotify has bad UX, but Apple Music is impenetrable on the Mac, on the Apple TV, on iOS. So there's there's so much huge potential. And like I, I bought another Kindle recently. I buy a lot of books on iBook, but I want uh, an e-ink screen. There, there are so many things Apple could do to get better at entertainment. It feels like they've only just scratched the surface. I think it's really exciting. That's interesting you mentioned e-books. So I have a completely different opinion to an e-book. I can't get on with them. I don't like the way the page refreshes. That's frustrating. And well, and this may be the photographer and design student coming out of me, but I really like to have really glossy colored pictures and pages that I can physically touch. I think iBooks has got it a bit better in that sense. But do you read anything like a newspaper in ebook format. Yes, I exist on stuff like that. I haven't bought a book or a paper or anything like that in years now. I, all my books I read on the an iBook. For me, it just saves us such a amount of space, bookshelf space and stuff like that. I just and and the, you know, I bought books. I've got down there bought, bought twenty years ago. I use News and News Plus on the screen. Yeah, for me, the the medium of uh, newspapers, magazines, and books is all done on the screen now. Uh, I just find it. I can I can start reading on my iPhone if I'm stuck on a tube. I can use my iPad when I'm sitting at home. I do like the Apple TV. I've got one right up. It's it's great for showing content from your phone or from your iPad. You are right, Aiden. It's we we talk about the way Apple integrate the things like. Like, you know, Final Cut Pro with uh, with Preview, with uh, Keynote and stuff like that. But they haven't quite got the entertainment side of it right. We were talking about what would you like to see at WWDC. I'd like to see them get Siri right. Siri still is not quite there. It's really interesting. So I have got an Apple TV. And the only time I really use it is if I've got friends around. And I want to show them something like photos. Yeah, and we could all crowd around my MacBook, but that would be a bit sad. So you'd sh- I'd show it on the telly, but it's just a bit tortuous. And I-, I want to like it more than I do. And I have to say, Kindles, I've got a paperwhite Kindle, and it is easy to read in the same way that is a book. And I love my books, don't get me wrong. Is it Dead Tree Books, they call them, DTB. So I have a Kindle because I go on holiday. And there are things about, like, the, 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 the battery life's amazing. Whereas if I was reading on a plane on my iPad, I'm not sure if I used my iPad for however many hours, if it was a long flight, whether it would still be there at the end. Whereas I know my Kindle would. I think how people consume media is changing. iPlayer, for instance, is amazing. Why would you want watch a program on the tv on bbc one unless or bbc two when you can watch it anytime you like so i think it's going to be the battle of the subscriptions isn't it because you can see with britbox you can do is it all for for catch up telly if you pay the money you don't have to have adverts i think we're at a, a time when lots of different players are in the market and this is like the vhs betamax thing all over again how many of them are going to be standing still standing still selling a service in five years time um a discussion we had at home recently was how important is the television license when was the last time you actually physically sat and watched 
a program live on TV. I think, especially in the pandemic, it's all become about being able to pick and choose when and where you want to watch. However, I would say as, as someone for the, who believes in public broadcasting, I would say the licence should stay there, but it might need to change. I'm intrigued. So the, the others don't know this, but Christian sent me this great email about a music setup that he uses and if he could tell us a bit more about it. I'm really enthusiastic to find out how this works. If I were to, first of all, know that no matter what I tell you here, I would do it differently today because the technology that's here today is is quite a bit different. So one, th one thing that's here today that wasn't, well, it's not quite here today anymore, is, is iTunes. So when I started this little music project, there's no such thing as iTunes yet. So, and there was, of course, no Spotify or Apple Music or anything like that. So these are the days where if you had a big system, you had maybe a five-disc CD changer, and you could put your music on CDs, and it could sort of uh, carousel around. And then I outgrew that. So, so I bought a, a Sony 300-disc changer, and the problem with that was to, you have to have kind of a, a book to know which which disc is in which slot. So fortunately, somebody made this box called the slinky and the slinky box is um is actually the s link is something that was built into sony changers the e i don't know what that was but anyhow what you do is you buy a program that had a look something like itunes you could make playlists and you could do this on your computer and then run a serial cable to the slinky then the slinky connected to the 300 disc sony changer and now you can make playlists that would drive that carousel around to whichever disc it needed to be in and play whichever track you needed it. So you stuffed all your discs in that changer and you made your playlist and you were done. And that has been running on an original Bondi Blue iMac since, I don't know, since when the uh, Bondi Blue iMac was almost new and system 9.2. So not even OS X. Also have a, a um, behind me here, there's a, there's a, a remote control that is it's connected with USB to that same iMac and it has, all it has on it is one little, one little light to send things to, it's aimed at the stereo and the remote control is in software. So basically, uh, oh, and also it was all, it was all Apple scriptable. So I have, I have Apple scripts that fire off at different times of different days. So on Tuesdays, Thursdays, and Saturdays, back when I would go to the gym, this, this music would play at 6 a.m. It would be the Rocky soundtrack without the songs I didn't like. Okay, and I'd, you know, go to the gym. Um, at nighttime, it plays thunderstorm recordings. So to sort of drown out some of the city noise. And that has worked by itself for, I don't know, it's probably 20 years since, well, whenever before, before MP3 was invented, before iTunes. That's my fancy setup and it just keeps working. And um, so I'm not looking to change it because, you know, it's playing through the house through real speakers, you know, the big kind, not the little Bluetooth thing that's that, that you buy these days. So these days you would do it, you know, you would have iTunes or, or Apple Music or Spotify streaming to some Bluetooth box and you'd be done. But this is this was really fun to put together. And uh, that's they did it and here it is. I would love something like that. I, I had all of my MP3s, uh, maybe about 60,000. I had them on Google Play Music where, you know, it, it uploaded them. And it meant with the Google Play app, I could play my MP3s on an iPhone, on a Mac, on a computer, anywhere. I didn't have to store them anywhere. And now that that's been shut down, you know, they, they've let me download my MP3s, but 
it doesn't seem like anything these days works with them. Like I could, I could get a device and put it on it, but that won't let my iPhone play it when I'm on the other side of town. If I have them on the Mac, Spotify can see them as a local library, but not stream them. You can upload them into Apple, Apple Music, but if you ever change regions like I did once, it will just delete them all. So it, it deleted a lot of live recordings I had, which I've now lost. Uh, you can put them in YouTube Music, but that's got ads and you can't, it doesn't really, it doesn't really work. So I tried copying them to iCloud. And if, if you ever copy a lot of files onto an iCloud drive, it always loses a load of them and deletes them. So that doesn't work either. There doesn't, there doesn't seem to be any way to do what you've got, but on the internet. Unless someone walks in here and takes my CD changer. I've got the music. That's the, that's the nice thing. I really feel like I have it. There's, there's this sort of feeling of permanence there. Um, you know, that it, Takes up a lot of space, a bunch of big black boxes over there that, that, you know, with amplifiers and things. Boy, I've really got those things, you know. I know some people who ripped all their CDs and then threw the CDs away. They thought, well, we've got the MP3. I think this sort of stuff is really important though because so thinking going what Aiden was saying about uh, copying stuff to iCloud I years ago when they first released I think it was called iTunes Match I had an absolute nightmare with this so I had a huge music collection turned on iTunes Match which I think you paid for it was a, a subscription service it uploaded everything all seemed to be fine but then it had this bug in it which was really well hidden by Apple in terms of, if you went on their Apple forums the support forums it was flooded with these things but they really dampened it down and what it did basically was retain all your music but it swapped around the album art so i'd be playing you know pink floyd dark side of the moon and it would have like kylie minogue cover on it and i can't deal with that that's just not my own kylie minogue music but probably do but i just couldn't deal with that but as a result of that i completely lost confidence with it because there was no fix you know they talked about releasing updates to itunes that were supposed to fix it and it made it a little bit better but essentially my entire music library was was completely trashed as christian's saying if you've got something in your house that is physical it's got nothing to do with apple it's got nothing to do with a hard drive really or anything like that it's just there it's far you feel far safer with that and i've even gone back to you to buying vinyl Uh, i've really got back into vinyl recently i've just started buying some stuff from beatport in terms of mp3s that i can keep and put on a on a separate hard drive and not put anywhere else you know not put in apple's hands i think this this takes us back to the whole thing with apple and you know when i looked at the the topic of the show about what do you do with your apple products to use for entertainment i I don't (laughs) you know i've already mentioned the apple tv which i don't don't use i really can't think of anything else i've you know i've I've recently switched to spotify for streaming because they have better playlists and i just prefer the the user experience yeah i don't trust apple with this sort of stuff i'm afraid that that's my big problem with it as far as i'm concerned i use my iphone for listening to podcasts and to apple music and i deliberately buy iphones which are big enough to contain all of my apple music and i won't subscribe to apple music because if i own the the music why should i have to pay to listen to my own music i I just think it's kind of productive um sorry i have everything set up and i have playlists and stuff and i have itunes match so i can have it across my different macs as far as viewing stuff i will sit in front of my computer to watch certain things which i have on my mac but i'm slightly odd one out i i use a playstation to talk to my Samsung television because my Samsung television occasionally would decide to go and update itself, which you can't stop because I've tried. And then it would disconnect all the streaming services or install its own applications, which inserts trailers and you can't get rid of it. And it installs it on channel 4000, which is infuriating. So I find I use a Sony PlayStation 4 to watch and view stuff. And I have my Apple description on the PlayStation. Now, what I also do is I'm 
I'm very much like you. I have everything on CD and DVD because um, the thing that annoys me the most is when you go onto some of the streaming services, they edit the content or they chop it out. So I've watched films and go, hang on, you've chopped off that scene or it's 10 minutes shorter or, or the ending is different or the coloring is different. And that's not how it originally was. But I think the iPod was excellent, the original ones. I, ha I still have iPod classics for listening to stuff when I go traveling. Um, I will have a Kindle um, and I will be very interested to see what we get maybe two years time. Because if privacy is coming into a big scheme of things, how would you change it better? There was a very interesting article on The Guardian this week all about what what are we doing to get, escape the echo chamber? If we're now listening to music which has been adjusted to us, so that's your Spotify and others. If we're now going on to Netflix, which carefully chooses what we watch, we're not actually discovering anything new. We're just reinforcing the same idea. And I think Apple have the opportunity to bring in other suppliers and become the independent but that's the only way i can see it going forward it's interesting in listening to everybody's way of how they effectively consume entertainment we all use apple devices to consume it but the majority kind of says it's not apple that's creating it or providing it we've got spotify we've got physical discs we've got plex we've got netflix well i was just gonna say i think also it might have something to do with the ethos of apple if i remember rightly steve jobs was i think terrified of apple being bought um hence he developed up the huge cash reserves that they had to make it almost impossible for other companies to come in and buy them out but I think they also see the demise of companies who were niche. If you think of Nokia and you think of uh, Blackberries, you know, they, they dominated the market, didn't they? They, they, were, they were the market. And all of a sudden, they're nothing. And I think Apple have that. So they see the big boys, Amazon and Facebook and people like that, and they want to be in that market. So they've diversed into all these different things and entertainment and subscriptions, obviously, the model forward for cash flow. But at the moment, as I said, I think we've been discussing here, they're not quite on the money yet with that whole system, the whole ecosystem of entertainment. I was going to add some things about Plex. How many people actually know what Plex is? Well, it's basically roll your own Netflix. So you basically say, here's the software that you run on your Mac, and you put your music on your computer, and then it will automatically do all the conversions. So I can have it in MKV, AVI, MOV, MP3, MP4. And then I can watch it on my TV, my iPhone, my Android device, and it does all the conversions for me. And it puts the library together, it puts all the data in, and it's easy for me to view. And it doesn't cost me anything. As far as I was concerned, it was a, a great way just to watch data because what I use it for is being able to view it between me and someone else. So I have relatives that live in other parts of the country. And I wanted to show them something and they can watch it. I'm going to challenge Alistair with something as he is our technical expert. Has he come across the name Don Melton? Heard of it. Does any of the panel know who this gentleman's name is? The name rings a bell. I can't think why. He was the lead for the development of Safari. And he is also technically one of the fathers of WebKit. He has some interesting and intriguing ways of dealing with video content. So this may also help Mark in terms of how he stores his data. So what Don Melton has actually done, he has written a 
GitHub project for standardizing video content and how it's stored. And if you're a Plex user, it comes highly recommended. Also, he makes very technical information very easy to understand in terms of what you want to do with it or how you want to consume it. The thing with this in particular is that it actually improves how other software works. So I'm sure if you're a Mac user, you've come across the app Handbrake at some point for copying information onto your machine. This is actually an add-on or a plugin as such that allows it to transcribe video in a much better sizable format. And I wasn't familiar with this. Somebody else gave me this as a tip, but it also, if you're consuming lots of DVDs, so in terms of a box set, which may be nine DVDs, it improves the speed of handbrake by 70%. So it's certainly worth a look. And, and Alistair will love this one for sure, is that you can have more control over the audio tracks. So I'm sure at some point, some of us have watched a movie and the subtitles are missing when someone starts talking in Korean or Russian. And what this actually does, it enables you to manage the audio track as a separate file. So for the Adobe Edition users out there, I'm sure you get a little info file when you're editing a track. It works on a similar basis. I've set Alistair a challenge now to redo his whole Plex collection, I know. I got fed up of not being able to watch certain films I own. Certain TV series, which are not available on streaming services, but I own the DVDs, old or out-of-date versions of shows or TV films, which I liked having copies of. Or you might want to watch something in a different language. I wanted to watch Wong Kar Wah films, which are incredibly hard to find. Uh, so I got 2046, In the Mood for Love, and f films like that, or the early Akira Kurosawa films. You have to buy them on DVD because he never released them to any of the streaming services. It was very useful because when I travel, I can I leave my computer on and I can watch it when I'm on my on my iPhone when I'm traveling. So it comes in quite useful. So. Yeah, I just think we're probably demonstrating that this is a challenge that is probably never going to be solved properly because there's so many different use cases. I think like Plex, I, I've I dabbled with Plex years ago and it's 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 really cool actually, but it requires a lot of effort to get set up and I'm a bit too lazy for that. Whereas other people won't be and they'll they'll make the most of it like you guys are. And equally, people just some people just want a button they press on their TV and they get the latest shows. And the biggest issue with all of this stuff is that it's kind of surrounded by boardroom battles between, you know, cable TV services, like in, in, the, in the UK, Sky, and then you've got the likes of Apple, you've got Disney, you've got Netflix. They're never going to fully get on with each other. They've all got their own prerogatives and they've all got their own bottom lines they want to they want to sort out. Yeah, it, I think TV is a mess, to be honest, but I think it's always going to be a mess. I, I, it's, the, it's the one thing, going back to the Apple TV... Um, the reason I haven't got one plugged into my TV is because it has to have a really good reason to be plugged into my TV. It's just another box. It's another another remote, terrible remote remote from the sounds of it. I think most people, it's, it's that coveted thing, isn't it, in the living room, the thing they put above or below you, wherever you connect it to your TV. Everyone wants that, but they all want it. They won't work together to get it together. I'm going to ask my final question on entertainment. As Christian doesn't really use his Macs and things for entertainment, what would you like to see Apple do that might convince you to entertain more using Apple devices? You know, I don't think it's really a matter of what Apple's done or not done. For me, it's a matter of my nature is to is to be more of a doer and a creator than a consumer. And so nothing wrong with consuming. I mean, I do watch, I do watch a few sporting events, you know, American football, um, soccer too. On, I watch on my iPad, which is fantastic because, I mean, here it is. Uh, it 
changes the way you watch things. I mean, it used to be you you had to arrange your living room around the TV. You know, that's how you set up the, the, the chairs. And then you kind of arrange your life around the show when it's on. You know, if you if there's if you want to if you want to get something to eat, you're going to miss some of the game. So you wait, you wait till it's halftime and you go. But with with your iPad, if you're watching the game on your iPad, you take this with you into the kitchen, make your sandwich while you're still watching the game. So for, so I do a lot of that. I do I do watch things on the iPad, but I, I take it with me while I'm doing other things, while I'm, I'm, I'm cooking dinner, I'm, I'm putting things away in the, you know, from the laundry. So in that way, it doesn't really quite feel like I'm doing, you know, sitting down in the home theater kind of situation. But uh, this, this works for me. This is, that's all, you know, Apple's meeting my, my needs for the time I have for that kind of thing. But I really enjoy podcasts. I'm going to, you know, be subscribing to this one. I also, I actually do like reading the newspaper. I read the New York Times on on my iPad. And what I like about it is, of course, the portability again, but also that I can touch words and look them up because there's some words I don't know what, what a word means. So there's an instant definition. I find that very handy. I still I still like books in a bookshelf, but I think that's those days are a generation, maybe the last generation that's going to like books in a bookshelf. I don't know. But so I, I think Apple's doing okay for me. It's, uh, I don't like the Apple TV remote. I'll give you that. But, um, and I wish someone would make a remote control that, that didn't have numbers on it, but instead had the call letters of the station I want to watch. Like if it's HBO, I want to type in HBO. I don't want to look at my sheet and find out that that's channel 4122. Someone fix that for me and I'm all set. Then, then maybe I'll buy, another, I'll buy a TV and I'll watch it. Because, you know, that, that last, the last 10 feet of this thing is between your remote control and TV. It, that's a number. you got to put in some sort of code number. It's like, it's like DNS. It's, like, it's like exactly like a DNS system where you have to know the, the, the address of the station, whereas air, all the advertising, everything tells you it's on, it's on ESPN2. Or it's on, you know, it's on HBO something until you get to your remote, and then it's on, it's on some number that you have to know. So that's that. Somebody fix that. If Apple fixes that, I will buy a big TV and I will plug in an Apple TV and I will watch that rascal. If I can give you some advice, guys, use your Apple phone. It acts as a remote for your Apple TV, and you can type in exactly what you want straight away. You're not trying to press buttons. It moves around the screen easy, so much easier, and it's all you know. It's always beside you. Um, you're asking about what do I want Apple to do? Quite simply, I want them to buy Sony, Disney, HBO, and the BBC outright, and then we'll have all the content we need and no more problems. This is the part of the show where we answer your tech questions and try and help out our listeners. And our question from Carlo. Hi, this isn't really a tech question, but I'd love to hear your thoughts on this subject. Do you think Apple will release an iPhone without a port? And if so, when? I think they might do, but I think it's complicated. And I think the anti-monopoly stuff will weigh heavily on that. Because if you can only back up your phone to iCloud, whether or not there's enough free storage, losing the ability to back your phone up over a cable will be unhelpful. And I think I've been building software to back up iPhones and work with iPhone backups for 10 years. And, you know, one of the things that isn't lost on us is Wi-Fi connectivity with Apple services doesn't really work tremendously well. If you've ever tried to do Wi-Fi 
local backups in iTunes. So not a backup to iCloud, but a, a local iTunes Wi-Fi backup. It relies on Bonjour and a bunch of other services. And, and if, like most people, you have a network which has 5 gigahertz and 2.4 gigahertz channels under the same SSID, if your Mac or your iPhone are on the different channel, it just won't work. And you won't know why it doesn't work, but it won't work. And there's probably no way you can fix it unless you split your 5 and 2.4 gigahertz network. So short of Apple really fixing their iTunes Wi-Fi support, which I can't imagine is a priority. I think they would struggle to drop the port soon. I agree with you on that. I don't think we'll see it soon, even maybe two or three generations down the line. They've also got too much money invested in extra cables for when they break third-party supplier licenses. And to be honest, lots more things are now starting to be connected to our iPads or our iPhones. I think the USB-C port that came on the iPad Pro made a massive difference. I think we will see a portless iPhone, but not not quite yet for the reasons others have, have mentioned. What I'd love to see them do instead is just give the iPhone USB-C and do the same thing with the AirPods Max. The fact that the AirPods Max didn't come with USB-C baffles me, and it's the most frustrating thing. Everything on my desk connects via USB-C, from my iPad, funny enough, to my keyboard, to my battery charge for my cameras. The only two things that don't is the iPhone and the AirPods Max, and it's genuinely annoying. It's frustrating. Like Craig said, when they introduced USB-C, on the iPad. I think even at the event, they had people in the front row cheering, people who worked for Apple. I know why they're not doing it. They've got, like others have said, they've got a lot of time invested, a lot of things invested in um, lightning connections. They're big enough to put that to one side, I think, and just go for it. Give us USB-C. But I don't think that's going to happen, unfortunately. I think, I think the iPhone is going to go straight from lightning to being portless at some stage, probably in the next couple of years, I would have thought. I know the reason why we won't get rid of the cables for some time is for, for two good reasons. One, if you've ever had to support iPhones, especially with people who are not the most tech literate and the Wi-Fi is not working or you're in an area where Wi-Fi can't work because you're in a house with really thick walls and you're having to convert to something, you have to fall back to cable because the only thing that will work. The other thing I've come across is from a security point of view. A lot of companies will not allow you to work with Bluetooth turned on walking down the street. They will say, company policy, you have to turn Bluetooth off, Wi-Fi off. When walking down the street, you have to be on a cabled connection. If you do not stay on the cabled connection, you stand the liability of your call being intercepted because the tech, the encryption system over those systems is not strong enough. Another reason I have to use cable is because if I'm on Bluetooth all the time, the batteries run down faster because it's, it's running two radios, one for the cellular connection and one for the Bluetooth connection. So unless Apple either gets amazingly good at encryption or B, gets brilliant on the battery life, they're going to have to continue to use battery because if you're on a long phone call, or you're recording something like a video, you have to have some way of putting the electricity in at a very high rate. And you can't do that wirelessly, as we've discovered with the air power uh, pads. It didn't work. So that's why you go stay with cables for quite some time. There is an argument which says that if everything moves to USB-C and someone buys out the USB-C chip or the license, then the whole thing goes down. So I think Apple has to stay on Lightning in case there's a problem with Broadcom suddenly gets bought out or whoever is producing that chip at the time. So I think they're trying to stay independent so that they don't end up with just two manufacturers making one connector. Can I just throw in here something, Craig, to think about? I think there's a trick here that they may be thinking about the MagSafe. The MagSafe could easily be used as a, a cable replacement. 
and it could also transfer data as well as power. And if that ha- that could then have a USB-C plug on it, a lightning plug, a three-pin English plug, whatever you want on it, and connected to the back of the phone, it could act as a data transfer um, without any use of Wi-Fi or wireless. Um, it would also mean that you can recharge your AirPods and, and I presume iPads and everything else will eventually have MagSafe chargers on the back of them. And I think MagSafe could be a way of Apple getting around the problem of one, being able to get rid of the port, which they've been trying to do. If they put a MagSafe with a USB plug on it, it gets around that problem as well. So I think there's a potential there for them to use MagSafe. You were saying there, uh, Alistair, about power if you're using it as a video source. If you're on the MagSafe with a 20-watt charger, the phone will continue to run even in in a, a filming mode. A question from Anita. Hi, guys. I recently bought a shiny M1 Mac Mini, and now I'm looking to sell my older MacBook Air. I've reset the air and to clear all the information off in order to sell it. But now it's asking me to enter the disk password. Help. I don't ever recall setting a password. How can I override this? Um, well, the person with that problem should try password that they used as their admin password. I mean, the odds are, you know, there's, there's, there's a chance that they use the same password to encrypt the disk as they did for one of their users. If it's if there's only one user, use that. And if there's more than one, try them all. Remember, you could have firmware resets. If you're using Firevault, you could use reset it with uh, iCloud turned on. Yeah, they used to also provide like a, like a unique code. That's right. You had some, well, if you forgot your password, you probably forgot where you put that to. You need AirTags for that. Oh yeah, for sure. The last question, I think I can help with this one because I had trouble with it too. So Gavin wrote in saying that he recently subscribed to Apple One and over the lockdown, like many of us, including myself, has put on a few pounds because we're sitting at home and he wanted to give Apple Fitness a go. However, he couldn't get his Apple Watch to pair with the TV. So this one is not as obvious as you think. Also comes down to making sure that every single device is up to date. You've got to have 14.4 minimum on the TV as well as the phone and 7.2 on the watch. But the hidden secret behind it is to make sure that you've got the hub facilities of the Apple TV turned on. Otherwise, it will not pair. I don't know why Apple have done that or what the decision behind that was. But by default, why does it also not turn on when you open Fitness Plus app? It would save a lot more headaches. Sadly, we've come to the end of our show for another week. And we have to say goodbye. And we thank you very much for all our wonderful guests and the time that they've given up this evening. And first up, we'll say thank you very much to Mark. No, thank you for having me, having me on, Craig. I've really enjoyed it. And um, yeah, just very quickly, I suppose, if anyone wants to uh, see me uh, kind of getting more infuriated about USB-C uh, and the Apple TV, uh, probably, probably the easiest way of doing that is to head to my website, which is markellisreviews.com. And you can find my channel there and my Medium blog and my, my main blog, etc. And uh, yeah, it's probably the best way to get a hold of me. That's brilliant. And if you want to figure out how he got such great audio quality throughout the podcast, there's certainly a great video to watch involving some foam panels which i also have here <laughs> yeah and i think like i've demonstrated in that video it's what behind the scenes in in youtube channels like mine is an absolute mess it's um it's not too bad today actually but yeah my, my, this room is normally covered in foam panels just placed everywhere and pillows and things on the floor that you can't see just try and deaden the sound and we'll also say thank you to mr fitzpatrick thank you very much well thank you for having me craig and uh alistair martin tina 
And also lovely to meet you, Mark and um, uh, Christian. Yeah, if, if, I mean, if you want to follow along, I'm on Twitter at AFIT, A-F-I-T. And, you know, the, the app that we built, Camo, for using your iOS device as a, as a high-quality uh, webcam, uh, you can find it by Googling for Camo or searching on the App Store for Camo, and it will come up. Pay me on Twitter. It'd be nice to hear from you if you've enjoyed it. Thank you. Brilliant. I can also highly recommend the app. I've been using it for a while now. Thank you very much. I'm now going to put my DSLR away in the cupboard. It certainly replaced that. No more power leads and cables running all over the place. And we'll say thank you to our rocket expert and our musical storage expert. Now I'm intrigued. I want to go out and play my CDs now. I'm going to say thanks to Christian for joining us this evening. Well, if you want to know more about what I do, my, my website is christianvoice.com. It's B-O-Y-C-E, like Rolls Royce without the without the money. I My website has uh, more than 500 tutorials on it. It's all about how to do things with your Mac or your iPhone. Most, most of them are, are things you read. There are, I think, 17 or 18 recordings of courses I gave during pandemic lockdown time, roughly one hour each. Those videos are available there too. Glad to have you come and look. I, I wrote all that stuff down so it didn't take you 30 years to learn it like it took me. That's awesome. Thank you. And as always, we'll say thank you to our usual suspects. We'll say thank you to Alistair, the Plex expert in the corner over there. Thanks, Greg. Uh, it's been a fascinating chat this evening. We've learned an awful lot and I hope our audience have uh, enjoyed it. Brilliant. Thank you. And thank you very much to the backup king. Uh, no, thank you, Craig. Uh, it's very interesting. Thank you to our three, our, three, our three guests that came along tonight. Very interesting meeting you and listening to all your stuff. Um, giving me plenty to do over the next few weeks looking at your website. So I appreciate that. And uh, thanks to my colleagues. And we'll also say thank you very much to Tina, our fitness expert, with all of her counting her steps as she's been recording there. Thank you for this evening. It's been fascinating tonight. I feel a little less lonely because it turns out I'm not the only person that finds Apple TV a bit. Mm. So that's good. I, I thought it was just me, but apparently not. So, um, yeah, that's good. I'm not in a minority of one, and that's always a good feeling. Maybe one day they'll sell it to me and I'll be there. But it's been really, really interesting to hear different viewpoints. Brilliant. Thank you. And as always, thank you very much for listening. And until next week, thank you and goodbye.